Hey friends, my guest today is a very talented musician and artist. I was fortunate enough to make music with him many years ago, and he's still at it, producing new songs and releasing a new album this September. You can find him on Instagram at galen.ballinger, so check it out. I have nothing but love and respect for this fine young man, and I am so glad he joined me today as we traveled down some wormholes. Here he is, Galen Ballinger. It's a trip having a conversation with your uh, voice so well in your ears. Yes, right in there. Yeah, this uh, this is so cool because the the reason I enjoy it so much is because I've known you for a long time, but I've never just sat with you and talked to you yeah. for two hours straight. You know, it. Uh, there's so many distractions mm-hmm. these days. Uh, you don't ever really have like a real conversation with somebody. And mm-hmm. so good things can come out of it that you didn't really expect, you know. Totally. It's a lost art, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to start with... Um, I was thinking, I always think about like what, what cool topics to bring up, you know, I, the, the purpose is not to ever have like a true, uh, routine or a true mm-hmm. set schedule. I just like it to kind of go wherever it goes, but I always have to like try to come up with something that can get it rolling. Sure. And, uh, with you, I mean, you are a musician mm-hmm. and you've been playing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the coolest thing for me when I met you is you, when I met you, I was in high school and yeah. you, you were probably like, I don't know, 14, 15, maybe. I think, I think I was a, a freshman when you were, you would have been a junior, right? Yeah. Junior, senior. Yeah. yeah. When I started coming over to your house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you had, I don't know how old that is. Somewhere in there. Somewhere between 13 and 20. You, as far as I remember, had not played anything ever. Mostly true. Um, there was a required band uh, class at good old St. Mary's Academy. So I was in the, you know, it was like they give you your choice of instruments and my picks were bass clarinet or saxophone. Um, and they're like, why don't you just, we'll give you a clarinet, like see how you do with that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never really played it. You know, it was a big enough section. It was just kind of, I was in the section where we just held clarinets and there was like <laughs> the two people who actually played. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of hid in there and... Moved your fingers around a little pretty, bit? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Until I got um, a little highlight moment at the end there where the school got some timpanis. Um, I can't remember. I know we did um, the 1812 oh, yeah. overture where mm-hmm. there's like a, a cannon. It's actually written for cannons to be firing from these four corners. And so in that setting where you can't have cannons um (laughs) why not (laughs) in the catholic church um yeah the part is written for timpani so you're basically counting you know 
40 something measures of rest and then just come in with these. (laughs) I don't know if I ever nailed it, but that was fun to hit some drums. But yeah, not, not really. No. So you, you were supposed to be playing the clarinet, but you switched to timpani. Yeah. Switched to timpani at the end. Uh Uh, Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That was the other thing I was thinking about the other day as I'm just going back through memories um, and I was thinking about St. Mary's school and I, yeah. it didn't hit me until recently that that was a Catholic school mm-hmm. and in the Dalles that seems unique. There were so many elementary schools and that was the only Catholic school. Yeah. That I'm aware of, you know, I, I never, yeah, I never understood all the school systems. I mean, my dad went to that school all of his eight siblings went to that school. All of the four kids in my family went to that school. Um, it was just school in my mind, you know. And by the time, you know, my dad had nuns teaching him when he went through there. By the time I went there, it really didn't feel like a Catholic school. Um, a lot of the teachers were, were not even Catholic. Um, that wasn't even part of it. So, but, but it was a good school. I mean, it was small classes. It was a private school. So it was, you know, I think fairly well funded. And, um, yeah, I definitely had to wake up to whatever quality education it it did provide when I hit high school and was like, holy shit. Um, like I did this in seventh and eighth grade and, and now I'm in high school. Like, what am I doing here? Which kind of led to me leaving high school. Yeah. My sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, this really feels like a waste of time on top of um, the social aspect of high school. I didn't, didn't really enjoy. It wasn't your thing. No. And be, because wh- what reason? You just felt like you weren't getting anything out of it? Um, yeah, I definitely didn't feel, um, yeah, academically interested or whatever. And that's not to say the opportunity wasn't there. Um, I don't know how much I put into it. I think I was, I had kind of lost interest. Um, and socially just wasn't connecting Mm -hmm. to my peers in that place at that time at all. Did you feel like you connected more when you were at St. Mary's? Like, were you able to relate to people more in that school? That's a good question. Um, I, I think I kind of felt like an alien throughout. Um, there is something that happens though, where in St. Mary's, um, I don't know the exact number, but I think the class size usually hovered somewhere around 20 students. And a lot of those were starting in kindergarten all the way to eighth grade. So whether or not you're, you know, best friends with these people or have everything in common, there's just a natural bond, you know, from spending that many years in that kind of intimate setting together that, you know, you you feel a part of something. Yeah. Um, and And I did have good friends there for sure. But even those friendships, I think, in high school everything opened up and people were able to kind of go deeper into the, uh, 
little social groups that they were more interested in. Sure. Um, and for me, yeah, there really wasn't one there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Did they have any focus on the scripture? Like, was that a part of daily learning? No, not to my recollection. I remember off and on, they would try and implement a, a class called religion. It was religion class. And to my memory, it was always kind of a, a failing endeavor. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd get a new person. Um, either it was like a new priest who would come in or just someone separate who would teach this religion class. And, and it wasn't taken that seriously, and it was maybe once a week. And it was kind of the time kids put their head down on the desk. It was not an engaging sure. uh, class. And other than that, the only religious focus was, I think it was Monday mornings, the whole school went to Mass. Did you guys walk across the street to the church? It was right there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'd all walk across the street. But the thing about that is, it was like, oh, Monday morning, you just come a little bit late. You maybe <laughs> hide in the bushes, whatever it is. I mean, I walked to school uh, most of my Catholic school career. Did you walk so, with all the kids from the family? I probably at some point. And so they, they saw you ditching then, off in the bushes. Then we dispersed, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I would definitely hide the... I, Hide those things out. I did a lot of hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, band would always be a morning class. Sometimes I'd skip that one out. Mm-hmm. I would just hide in the stairways and listen to the band from, like, from the stairway. And then I could hear when it was done. And the class would come up and be headed towards the classroom. And I'd just jump in line with them and <laughs> join the class. Yeah. They they didn't get to hear the the timpani on the eighteen twelve no those days no yeah <laughs> there's a hole in it yeah uh, when when you're young and impressionable like that I think it's easier for them to attempt to to get you excited about something and to get you involved in the religious aspect and yeah. even if you're not going to a religious school. Right. The, those young minds, you can uh, you can form them the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. And if you are able to reach somebody at that age, maybe potentially they're going to go down that path. But I think once you get a little bit older, if you start questioning things, then it's it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I I I appreciate that the school's focus really was education. And it wasn't, there wasn't, um, no one was trying to impose any religious ideal on, on anyone. You know, I think most of the religious spiritual, um, exposure I had really happened at home, Mm -hmm. you know, and in the community of my family and, and the community around that school was, was just, I don't know, just wasn't that way. That's what's so unique, though, about I, – I know your parents, and I don't know them that well, but I know them as very intelligent humans who tend to question. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to follow with the people that I know that they would send you down that path. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, I think they were 
they were definitely questioning Catholics at the time. I think for them, it was still the community they were familiar with. And I really think for them, it was an educational choice, you know? I mean, it, it was also a big deal, you know, financially. Uh, I mean, we were the poor kids in school a lot of the time. Uh, I, I definitely had that feeling. And I know it was a challenge for, you know, my parents to pull that off, sending four kids. But I think they believed, um, if even just down to smaller classroom size, that, that there would be better educational opportunities sure. there. And I think that's what it was about. I don't think it was um, religious too much. But also, you know, something I remember my dad saying was that, um, their choice to like expose us us kids in this Catholic faith when we were young was kind of just a way to expose us to um, concepts of like spiritual thinking in general, and it, and it didn't have to be a path we followed, you know. And there wasn't pressure to like become Catholic, but it was more like just being around the language or traditions of, you know, thinking spiritually. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, there's, you know, my parents don't, haven't gone to that church in a very long time. Mm -hmm. None of us kids continued that. Yeah. That's, what's really cool about your whole family is your parents and all three of your siblings and you included, you guys are all, super deep thinkers who don't follow anyone's path. And I, th I think, I think that's part of the way that your parents brought you up and part of the way that you just began to question the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, your family's very unique. I, th I think, I think there was some kind of influence of that, you know, mm -hmm. definitely from both my parents of, um, yeah, uh, um, yeah, just in encouraging freedom of thought, which yeah. I really, really appreciate. It's, I think it's also been, um, confusing at, at certain times, you know, there's times where, um, I've looked to, it's made, it's given me an attraction to like regimented, like rule-based systems oh, often, yeah? you know, for sure. Um, because I think it can be sometimes exhausting to exist in a, a constantly critical questioning uh, space. Yeah. Um, but, but I know I, I absolutely deeply appreciate both my parents um, just encouragement of that and and that that was like a value to them you know was was for their kids to explore their own values you know sure. figure out the, uh, what that is sure which is constant for any of us and you come to realize i mean it, it is there have been moments in my adult life where i think i've wanted to land at some plateau of understanding and just relax with my rule system or dogma or, or whatever it is and be like, all right, like I, I figured it out, but it, it's not that way. I don't know. It'll never be that way. Yeah. And definitely growing up in that scenario, I'm not someone who, 
probably would even be comfortable or honest um, for me to fall into something like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah so I uh, I didn't meet your brother until I think he was a senior and I was a junior. And so that's when I started coming over and hanging out and playing music and everything. Yeah. And so this is a roundabout way of getting to you as far as I remember, didn't ever play guitar. And then all of a sudden you started playing and you're just like this rain man virtuoso that you, do you know how to read music? No, no. You just picked up a guitar and started playing. And it was like, you knew what you were doing instantly. And it was insane. It, your brother's like, oh yeah. I've never felt like I know what I'm doing on an instrument. <laughs> well, it looks like you do. I never want to feel that way. It looks like you do. And you just would start playing and your your progress was was crazy. And Interesting. D- yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's hard to remember that journey. I mean, I remember what, what's interesting now is that I've started playing mostly nylon string guitar. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I've I've got my dad's old nylon string, which is the guitar that I would have started on in okay. high school just playing around. It was the guitar in the house. Uh-huh. You know, it was this it was his church guitar. That's how I thought of it. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. And you know, I definitely remember yeah, trying to learn how to play like Black Sabbath riffs on, yeah. like <laughs> quietly somewhere in the house on like the holy nylon string yeah. church guitar. Um, and that, yeah, that's where I started playing around. And then I bought my first electric from Paul Taylor. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a Stratocaster, wasn't it? It was a white Stratocaster with a maple neck, just like Jimi Hendrix played at Woodstock, Uh uh, which you also had a very similar guitar. I still got it. Do you? I still have that one too. It has about eight layers of paint on it though. It's not white anymore. I've painted it many times. Yeah. um, Yeah. So that, I got that electric guitar, but then I didn't have an amp for, I think years still. I would play, um, you remember the basement where you guys played in? Oh yeah. So the wall from mine and Ben's bedroom that we shared um, to that room was hollow. It was an uninsulated interior wall and it was hollow. And I remember if I put the neck of the guitar against it, you ever done this? An electric guitar, you just lean the head of it against the wall. It amplifies the sound. The vibrations vibrate through the whole wall. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't an amplifier, but it sounded like, you know, there's some like kind of distortion to it. Yeah. It was louder basically. Um, yeah, so that was my guitar journey. And so did you, did you realize at some point that that was something that spoke to you that you wanted to continue doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think immediately, I think even before I started playing, there was a certain interest. I mean, just as a music listener and, and lover, um, especially the music I was listening to, you know, the electric guitar is this thing that is a pretty obvious migration towards, you know. And I don't think I ever thought about whether, 
um, whether it made sense or not. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, it was something I wanted to do and started doing. Yeah. And kept doing. Yeah, for me, it was, uh, I mean, everybody has the thing that they, they aspire to or that they, they think they can do, you know, kids want to be an astronaut or they want to be a fireman or you're just trying to figure it out. And I mean, I I witness it right now with my three kids, they're constantly changing. Like, uh, my daughter was way into hunger games. And so she wanted to be the main character from hunger games. And then now she's into this other, uh, movie set where it's like, just like girl power, you know, where she, is in charge and she, she's taking control, you know? And I remember being a kid and I wanted so bad to be a baseball player. Okay. And I was awful and it took me a long time to figure it out. And so I finally got to uh, high school. I got to um, freshman year and I bought a guitar from Irvin Mm -hmm. and I started playing. And that's when I realized like, that this was fits. Yeah. I was like, this is the thing I'm okay. actually good Interesting. at. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was a huge transition for me mm-hmm. to, I mean, there's a difference between enjoying something and wanting to do it right. and then finding something that you're actually good at and continuing to do it. Totally. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I, I think I was, I was pretty, private about my music so i don't think i had a there wasn't a lot of like feedback or validation about it so i don't think i really knew where i stood i didn't know if you know i was good at this thing or not it was just kind of something i started doing obsessively but i guess for me it was a similar handoff it you know where it was like um early on it was basketball you know and i would just come home play basketball by myself for five hours Mm -hmm. every single night you know i'd play i'd make up teams three on three of like the top nba stars and i'd be out there like you know you were all six members all six (laughs) at once you know um and then then was skateboarding yeah skateboarding was something where i never got anywhere with that yeah um at all I did that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just got hurt a lot. Um, and so, and then I, I think music was kind of the next thing after that. But in some way, um, you know, you were talking about your kids jumping from these things. I still feel that way. I mean, you know, I'm 34 years old now and I, I have that kind of thing, you know, every six months. Uh-huh. I, you know, I, I still cycle through, but guitar is something. That's been very consistent. Um, it's that thing you can go back to. Yeah, it's it's just a consistent part of it. And I think how I approach it, I think that's what's cool about music is it's something you can have different ideas about and, and translate them musically. So whatever you're really excited about, they, like there's probably a way to play guitar that way or or approach music that way. I hear what you're saying. And I think some people are drawn to it and they just can't figure it out. And some people, some people it's like, it's, it's written in the cards almost or something like that. Cause I I wanted to get to the act of creativity Mm. and the act of 
being a painter and coming up with something or being a poet and coming up with something or being a guitar player and writing some chord progression that is really good. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but uh, there's a bunch of people that I've read this idea from and the most famous one or the most pertinent one, I think was John Lennon. It might've been McCartney, but I think it was Lennon where he just said basically... He was a conduit. Mm-hmm. He he do, he didn't know where those ideas came from. Right. He just sat in a bedroom, and all of a sudden, he had written this number one song. Totally, and that's a crazy idea, or that's a crazy concept that you cannot be fully responsible for some creative act. It just like you're just able to tap into something that yeah. someone else can't. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that that concept for a lot of reasons, um, and, and there's a lot of, yeah, a, a lot of um, notable and prolific artists in all fields have said similar things. You know, um, something I remember was pointed out to me one time was was even um, the way we use the word genius. Um, where, where we're like, oh, that person is a genius. You know, they might be a musical genius or a math genius. And I might have this, you know, historically wrong. But, but the, way, <laughs> right. the way it was explained to me was um, when that term was used in, like, ancient Greece, it wasn't said that person is a genius. It was they have a genius. As in they are tied into whatever that source thing is. They're tapped in. And and that makes a lot of sense to me. And it also alleviates the pressure of like, um, you know, it isn't it isn't you, it isn't this ego, it isn't this thing you work at. And and I think that's something I really try and keep in all creativity, whether it's painting or playing music, is like for me it should always be play, you know. I, like guitar isn't something I've ever worked at. I've never, you know, made my fingers bleed doing scales or or tried to learn the whole repertoire of my favorite songwriters thing or whatever. I, I'm just, you know, I think I'm maybe generally lazy in that regard. And also, um, I really, I move towards things that um, work for me quickly and easily or intuitively and if they don't i I lose interest quickly and so i try and follow things that way and and therefore it's it's um you know like i don't think like the guitar isn't something that should ever be practiced and if if uh a kid wants to play guitar don't make him practice it you know let them play it let them just fucking play around with it Mm -hmm. excuse my language and that's, I think that's where you really, yeah, you discover a lot of things and, and you can discover um, what your intuitions lead you towards, what, what you're naturally good at. Um, but I also have respect for the other side. That's just not how I am. You know, there are people who are dedicated, diligent, and they learn things and get really good at them. And I have immense respect for those people. I'm not one of those people. Yeah, you. I mean, 
I've come up with things that I'm super proud of. And also I've spent hours playing something and nothing comes of it. Like right. the, the, the moment that you try to sit down and write something, right. you'll be there for hours doing nothing. Like that's, yeah. that's the thing that I can't explain. I don't know if anybody can explain. Sometimes you just, there's this cool story. Uh, I think it was, uh, I know it was Keith Richards, but what I think happened is he was sleeping Okay. And he woke up in the middle of the night and he always had a guitar next to him. Yeah. And I think he came up with um, uh, satisfaction. He just, he okay. woke up, yeah, yeah. came up with the lick for it. And God, I should have, I don't know. I, I should have uh, researched it more. Uh, I read his, his uh, autobiography and I oh. think he woke up, came up with it and he recorded it somehow. And then he went back to sleep yeah. and he didn't even know that he did it. Yeah, yeah. And that's crazy that something can just come to you from somewhere else. And I mean, that's one of the most famous songs ever. And he didn't even know sure. he really did it. Well, I think that that also ties into the the understanding that um, you know your subconscious is is working on things all the time. You know, I believe that. And and there can be a lot of value in not overworking things or pushing it. You know. Um, you know, playing guitar for eight hours a day for three weeks will totally get you somewhere. Not playing guitar for eight hours a day for three weeks, when you pick it up, also might be really interesting. Yeah. And and also might lead to uh, discoveries that, that you're more open to because you're not worked into this rut, you know, just digging this, this, this thing. Um, and sleep, I mean sleep is is that way where your your brain is working these things out yeah. yeah do you do you uh do you ever do that just wake up and write down what you had going on in your brain instantly not often i've i've gone through periods of that that book um is it the artist's way do you know this book has, has a um a practice like that where it's it's called morning pages and i can't remember how it works but basically yeah, immediately upon waking, you you just write whatever comes out for 15 minutes or whatever it is. And you don't even look at it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't do that very often. It's hard to get into the practice of doing it. Yeah. I started doing it uh, during COVID because I was actually, well, I was, I was starting to sleep in more. Yeah. You know, well, I, we all were. <laughs> I didn't have a reason I had to get up. Right. And so I'd hit the snooze fucking 20 times in a row. Yep. And uh, when I finally did get up, I'd write down whatever was going on in my brain. Yeah. And uh, that's the weird thing about dreams too, is that I think some people are better able to recall them. Mm -hmm. And for me, if if something wakes me up, mm -hmm. it's gone instantly. Interesting. I have to go back into it. Yeah. To like rehash it or something. Yeah. yeah I, I've never like dream journaling or whatever. That's not something I've ever done because the value of dreams or, or just the way that I experience dreams, sometimes there's like the funny story, you know, that that's worth mentioning. Um but a lot of times dreams are more that place where language kind of falls short and it's more about this feeling. And if you were to explain the scenario, you know, it's like I was at work and it was me 
but it wasn't me, you know? And it's <laughs> yeah. just like, it's so well, subtle, but it, the feeling, oops, sorry. That's right. The feeling is, is, um, what it's all about. And you might feel it all day or something happens halfway through the day and you feel that dream again. Um, but you can't really write that down. Well, and it's never as interesting to someone else as it is to you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whenever somebody starts to tell you their dream, you're like, dude, I don't care. <laughs> right. Whatever. Right. Cool. Some crazy shit happened in your brain while you're sleeping. I'll never believe people too. You know, dream dreams, not never, but I think that's also, <laughs> it's, it's, it sometimes becomes a way I think people can express things that, that they they can't otherwise own in waking life, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I had a had a dream about well, this or this. Well, have you ever read Freud? Mm-mm. His whole thing was it was every single dream you ever have is a wish fulfillment. Okay. You are in one way or another fulfilling a wish that mm-hmm. your waking brain may or may not be able to accomplish. Even if, you know, your grandma gets killed in your right. dream, there's some reason deep in your your psyche that you wanted that to happen. Right, you're exploring that option or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. I think I think that makes sense. I think, yeah, definitely a lot of dreams I can see where it's, it's a place I'm sorting some kind of feeling out mm-hmm. you know, in anxiety or in inspiration, whatever it is, yeah. It's a crazy realm because for as long as we could ever recall or know, people have been dreaming and no one no one can explain that. Yeah. Really? I mean, you could study the shit out of it, but nobody can really say why your brain will not shut off. Mm-hmm. Why why is it continuing to investigate other avenues, you know? Totally. I mean, I, I'm also I'm I'm equally interested in in what you might call daydreaming, you know, or just the think about the amount of brain activity, even just in this conversation. What sort of hallucinations and, and things we've had within our mind, you know? That's that's something I've always in, in thinking about to go back to creativity and art making, whatever it is, that's, that's something that's always been my, uh, desire, you know, is to be able to share that subconscious. So basically instead of like, Oh, I had this vision walking down the street the other day of this blue horse in a field. Should I write a song about it to communicate that to the world? Should I make a painting of it to communicate that to the world? I always want the most streamlined, um, easiest method, really, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, you know, uh, to get all futuristic, a, a technology I have <laughs> definitely uh, dreamed about is... Yeah, the concept to be able to see people's, um, I guess, what, what is a good term for it? It's the behind the eyes. It's it's the... Yes, uh, the, the the recall of memory. I think that's a, the Kurt Cobain uh, name for it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? He calls it behind the eyes. Yeah. Um, 
Anyways, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, do you know much about Neuralink? No. Elon Musk and Neuralink? No. I don't know a ton about it either, but the concept... I got five bucks on it. <laughs> yeah. Make it happen. Uh, it's I, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, um, this shit's terrifying as much as it is exciting. It, it's exciting, yeah, but yeah, it's totally terrifying. Hey, do you uh, Have you ever seen any of the uh, Black Mirror episodes? I've seen a couple. Mm-hmm. That guy and his team or wh- whoever's yeah. behind writing all that stuff, yeah. they come up with some crazy shit. Yeah. And there's an episode, I believe it's in the first season, where you're basically, you're recording everything that you're seeing in real time. So you can you can go back and view your I've memories. S- I've seen this one. Yeah. It's the couple. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've and she, this. they're at a dinner and uh, he, he realizes that she had a thing with the other guy and it, mm-hmm. it becomes a thing. Um, and so this, this Neuralink idea that Elon is working on, it is, it's like the width of a human hair. It gets inserted mm-hmm. into your brain mm-hmm. and connected to your brain. And the original goal for it was to help, um, uh, people who have certain, um, I mean, the, the best, the best, uh, example is people who, uh, are paraplegic. Okay. okay. So your arms and your legs don't work. Right. It's not because they don't actually work. It's because your brain cannot transmit sure. that signal to the them. Connection. Yeah. Yeah. So you just need something to reconnect them and then you're cool. Yeah. Electrical current. Right. Exactly. Basically. So the, there's there's other things that they're working on with Neuralink to to help people that have issues uh, with interconnectivity between their brain and other parts of their body, but uh, you, you could hypothetically insert this computer chip right. into someone's brain and then they can fully function again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's fantastic. But what this also does, there it goes. <laughs> I thought that might happen at some point. All Let right. the light in. <laughs> uh, so, continuing on. Um, so, with this computer chip that you have in your brain, you could essentially do the same thing that they're talking about on Black Mirror. Okay, you could. It's recording. You could. You could record right. everything that you are witnessing and feeling, and if that gets stored on hard drive, you could, you could pretend like if, if it started now and it it witnessed the next 20 years of my life, I could go back to this conversation with you Mm -hmm. and say, I see out the window, you know, uh, somebody over here doing something. I could zoom in on that and, and see what's going on. So you're, you're able to recall memory, not only memories, but situations and activities And all sorts of things that can happen. And from uh, a perspective of wanting to go back and enjoy things that you've done mm-hmm. and relive them, it's fantastic. But also, it could be it could be a terrible thing. Yeah, I don't even see a value in that. To be totally honest, a value in. Um, and going back a, and re, and reliving things that have happened? I really don't. No? Not me personally. 
and and even society wise no i really don't but what if you could go back to the first time you kissed a girl every day of my life just gets better and better (laughs) (laughs) no um i mean yeah it's an interesting concept but um you know i don't have the the understanding or even the vocabulary to dive into why that might not uh, register, um, uh-huh. you know, connecting. It's like, well, what, what are the ingredients to an experience? You know, there's the feeling of the temperature on all of the um, nerve endings of your skin. There is whatever synapse is happening in your brain. There's um, maybe the a visual aspect. I mean, to, to even consider capturing every ingredient of an experience um, is fascinating, but, but seems pretty far off. And then you get into the consideration of what if, what if there are missing ingredients there that, um, you know, even uh, Elon Musk or, or whoever's working on this is overlooking, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like, what are the ingredients of this moment right now? I think they are nearly infinite. But it, it is a really interesting thing to consider. I mean, it, it, it um, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to go <laughs> into it. <laughs> Let's it, do it. Uh, it also, it reminds me of this concept. I don't know where this came from. Maybe it ties into Catholic school. Probably, but but, um, from a very young age, I had this vision of of like basically imagine a calculator where you can, if you had all of that information, basically every ingredient of every scenario that has happened through time, the history of time. My belief was if you added all that up, you could predict the future. Okay, we will never be able to gather that amount of information. I mean, we're talking every piece of information of everything. Cause I, I don't, I think ultimately why that breaks down is that isn't the universe we live in. That's just how we perceive it. But it is an idea of, you know? Yeah, no, I hear, I hear what you're saying. And that is the exciting thing. And the scary aspect of the whole situation is what, where where do you draw the line? What? What? I mean, where where do you go? We we're sitting here at this table, yeah, drinking whiskey, talking. Yeah. We're experiencing this thing. Yeah. Is it of value to you or I twenty years from now to come back here and relive this exactly as it happened? Yeah. Is that an important question, though? That's that's my question know. too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're experiencing that to a de- to a degree in a very simplistic way. I mean, I think that's what social media is mm-hmm. to a certain degree. That's what um, any any event that feels like memorable to people. What happens? Everyone pulls out. The, the like capture this capture yeah it. I don't experience it in real it. time capture it on your fucking phone so that that's like the interesting thing too is is um i don't know um what is what is the value of that 
And what is the value of the moment, uh, the potential moment you might have had in the future that is lost in trying to dive back into this other thing? And can you really? I don't, I don't believe you can. That's, I, I don't know. That's why well, I don't see value in that. That's the whole argument of living in the now, right? Is that you don't, you don't focus solely on the past mm-hmm. and you're not completely captivated with the future. You're experiencing yeah. right now. Right. And I used to have some Eckhart Tolle uh, CDs in my van. <laughs> I got, I got a book right out there in the living room. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, I don't know. That's a if 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 you could ask me what my goal is when I die, mm-hmm. it would be to constantly review my life. That is the best I think it could be. Okay, as far as like you know, here's your menu of afterlife options. Uh, what would you like to do? Exactly. You would, would be like, oh, I just want replay. Yes. Um, I want a, I want a, a menu. Yeah. Of sixteen years old, right. driving a car, twenty four. Right. You know, my first child is born. You know, like yeah. if you could, if you had the option, mm-hmm. that seems like the best option to me is to relive those things or at least view them as they happen to me. Yeah. And that is that is the potential that we're talking about but there's there's other things that are included in that that make it less appealing if you have every single human in the world recording every moment of their life yeah. like what <laughs> uh, yeah i mean even the even the experience i mean that's something to to talk about in our generation so your experience 16 years old driving a car no one was filming that right no you weren't taking that selfie when you got your permit or whatever it is um you know maybe a potential richness of that experience is that it's this this fleeting intangible uh thing you know? yeah because that's what happens with memory is you you have some grasp of what that was yeah but you change it over time totally all the shit i think i did or the things i said to people that's not what really happened my brain altered it in some way and maybe the truth is not as good I i wonder yeah I mean, I, I think it probably goes both ways. I think some memories also wear down in a way that you lose interest, um, you know? And that would probably happen in your afterlife. So if you chose that for eternity, I mean, <laughs> how many You're times you want to... trying to steer wanna, me away from it, huh? Well, I don't know. How many times you want to drive... Uh, what are the other options? What are the other options? What are the other eternal options? What are they? Um, the option I'm kind of counting on is absolute and total nothingness yeah for eternity well that's that's a given that um, that is what it I is mean, <laughs> and that that's they're good. teaching that in catholic school are they no i thought i heard it somewhere <laughs> that is so i mean that's that's the one that nobody wants to believe is what it is but that 
Yeah. Until we learn something new, that is what it is. Yeah. Everything else is just a hope. I don't even think about it that much. Honestly. I don't either. That's why yeah. that's why I'm invested in now. Right. I don't give a fuck right. about later cuz right. I know I think this is happening. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it, I'd it rather is. enjoy if, this. If yeah. And and that's that's how I feel. I mean, it, you know, it's really interesting right now the anxiety around death in constant um debate, you know, or or just decision making, you know. In our society right now, in the midst of this pandemic, how much focus is, you know, just this swirling death anxiety? Um, not not that it's misplaced or anything, but it is a really, it's a focal point, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me that, that it's like, wow, imagine that type of energy focused on quality of life you know what if all of a sudden pandemic hits whatever um uh you know there are the tragic consequences of it and what if everyone stopped and was like holy shit like we gotta make the most of this right now you know yeah like mortality you know, knocked on the door a little harder for some people right now. It's it's really in focus. Um, what are we gonna do? You know, uh, like that's what's disappointing is that people are focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, it it is everything is sensationalist. Everything is clickbait. Everything is what is going to get you to pay attention to what I'm talking about. Right. And the disappointing thing is that I don't really trust any source of anything anymore. Yeah. You can, everything has some sort of slant. Everything but you ha- trust yourself. I trust myself, but I, yeah. I'm not physically there in downtown Portland sure. where people are blowing shit up. Right. This is the epicenter of some crazy stuff right now. Yeah. And, uh, I went down there last night. Did you really? I was mm-hmm. going to ask you if, because you you live in Northwest, so it's somewhat close, but not. It's very close. Yeah. You went you went down to the federal uh, courthouse, like the that area. Yeah, um, you know, er, early on, um, oftentimes, you know, it the gathering marches away from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I went down there for just. A minute last night and heard some people speaking and well tell tell me and tell everybody about what's going on then because there's a lot of th- things that are being said on the internet yeah there are a lot of things honestly um a, a part of my going down there is is just a part of my uh existence in human life which is to um participate but also to just observe and and understand so um because i think most people have a lot of misinformation on this or just angled information um 
I don't necessarily want to be spokesperson for uh, like what. Um, I mean, I could, I could relate my experience. Sure. You know, yeah, that's, that's all I can really do is, is, uh, yeah. You're a person, you experienced it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you don't have to give a particular view if you don't want to, but you can just yeah. say how you witnessed it's it. It's also hard for me to, I guess, not inject myself into something like that. Um, but I see, I mean, I see a lot of different things and I, and I also, um, hadn't, hadn't been down there in weeks, you know? Um, so I've, I've, you know, had a a physical presence in this a few different times over the last 60 days, basically. Um, you know, last night, what I witnessed was, a, a pretty eclectic gathering of what seemed like, um, you know, mostly local people, Portland people, all gathered in, in the park there. And there were speakers. Um, and yeah, that, that's, I, I stayed for maybe, uh, five different speakers. And, you know, a lot of it is, um, um, crowd interactive, you know, mm-hmm. someone might start a song, you know, I, I, I was there and, um, it was, it was dusk. So it was hard to see really how big this gathering is. And, um, you know, some people are uptight, other people are trying to stay kind of sparse on the outside. And so it, it's a pretty large gathering and everyone was asked to hold their, phones in the air with the light on so that everyone could just kind of look around and see what this sort of, um, you know, Milky Way we're in. And, uh, and that was really beautiful. And then someone with a megaphone started singing, um, we shall overcome got like a few lines into it and, uh, put it down and, and this sea of people just carries the song. Uh, yeah, I've seen things like that. Um, I've also seen, um, you know, hype and violence, you know, I mean, early on there was when curfew was still going down, uh, you know, when they, they set a curfew on the city, I walked down towards the justice center and, um, just in, Pioneer Square, you know, many blocks from the the focal point, uh, I saw people get chased through um, the square there, you know, full on running with cops with rubber bullets shooting at their backs as they ran, fled the scene. I mean, I don't know. There, there's it's it's hard it's hard to talk about these things because they're so complex. And I don't hear anyone talking about it in a complexity that I'm really even comfortable with. Yeah. And so it's, um, that's, that's the issue is that it's, it's, uh, it's so polarized. You're one way or the other. Right. And I don't, I don't view it that way. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't either. I support people who do have views like that, you know? Um, and I understand, like, where it's coming from. But, but you know, even a statement like, all cops are bastards, like this thing, um, isn't a statement that, like, resonates as a universal truth to me in any way at all. No. There, there are good people and there are bad people. And it doesn't matter what race and I don't even yeah, gender. And personally, like, I don't even think there's good people and bad people. I think there's situations sure, and humans. Sure. And I, and I long for the conversation that embraces that. You sure. Know? I don't care what your, your crime is. Like, I, I long for that conversation. But at the same time, this is a very specific moment in history addressing a very specific thing. And I do, you know, um, I support people who who want to um, maybe simplify it these issues in a way that is progressive, you know. Sure. The, the thing for me is like, what is the end game? I understand that people are very upset. And uh, this is a significant time for potential change across mm-hmm. the country. And uh, Portland is a hotbed, as we've seen in the last week or so. Right. I believe there are true protesters mm-hmm. who have good intentions and want to peacefully make a change. I right. also believe that there are extremists who... Mm-hmm are taking advantage of the situation and starting fires and blowing shit up and doing crazy stuff. And then you've got this, these federal agents that are being sent in to uh, squash everything. And so there, there's just, there's so much aggression and violence that is beyond what it is supposed to be about. And in the aftermath, you've got, well, what is it supposed to be about though? It's supposed to be about, um, it's, it's about people desiring a different environment and because of the, I I don't even think we get to say what it's about. I think that's, that's the reality is, is, um, I go there to try and understand and witness what, what this is about and what the, what the, um, progress desired progress is sure you know i agree and i'm i'm fully on board with progressive action and yeah. change yeah but it the situation we're in right now in portland it just seems like the people who are able to cause extreme mischief are leading the way and there's so much chaos, no one really knows what to focus on. You've got you've got the the mayor of Portland that going yeah. down there and maybe he should be there, maybe he shouldn't. I don't right. know. But he's getting tear gassed, and then that becomes a fucking headline. Yeah. And it's just every day it's like, what is gonna happen next? And what is the end game? What what do people desire to have happen? And what is the opposition trying to to achieve it's like where what are we doing so so some of the i mean that's the reality is i'm i'm not um 
I'm not like to this date well informed on all of these things, but the reality is there have been huge progresses made mm-hmm. in multiple cities all all over the US, all over the world now, really. Um even just the the conscious shift, you know. But there are also tangible things. Um policies, money being uh, dispersed in in productive ways all, all that has happened and um i i really like to remain uh honest and open to reality and and so for me to you know not acknowledge that um yeah are are there like are there some destructions that um have happened in Portland, for example, that maybe aren't um, directly related or relevant to that progress? Possibly. I mean, I keep all things open. But at the same time, that is so um, trivial in this whole discussion. And the the other violences, um, I don't feel like there's even time to talk about that stuff. It's just so small such a small small piece of it and i would i would feel dishonest if i didn't acknowledge that you know but the reality is um i mean if you if you go witness that um what's happening just in the city uh that is extremely disproportionately focused on um yeah it's not even worth talking about so your your opinion of what you witnessed yeah. in downtown Portland with everything that's going on is yeah. is a place of love and an attempt at progress. Oh, ab- absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I do. Um, you know, I'm someone who uh, I I. I I like peace. I like negotiation. I like to, I, my brain goes there. I think about, um, what is the solution to this conflict or whatever. So there are definitely times where, um, I do just, just as an outsider, conceptualize what, um, what is the ideal and what is the most peaceful, quickest way to get there? You know, so what's the, I, What's the ideal setup that um, the society could and should have that is being asked for, and what is the pathway to that? And it and it it isn't something I hear talked about a lot, or and there isn't something I can point to that is like, oh, this person has that, you know. I mean, even even the mayor going down and getting tear gas. I didn't hear what he said. I wasn't there. But there is a part of me that's like, there are there are ways to um, engage in these situations that that might be really beneficial. Imagine if uh, something I learned actually in um, a couples therapy. Uh, Do you continue this year? <laughs> was uh, is this concept of nonviolent communication? You sure. Of this, um, and it's interesting because it isn't something that really 
stuck with me too much personally as as the um a really uh, I don't know I I enjoy, I like this concept more thinking broadly and so I've kept this idea of nonviolent communication kept coming up at these protests where I see okay it's it's quickly becomes conflict between force A and B right yes now imagine if they acknowledged each other on some kind of human compassionate level they didn't agree they didn't want the same things even potentially but like god i would love to see that type of dialogue but i just want to be clear that doesn't that's just me standing there dreaming in my head that doesn't mean i don't think that um that's what's lacking it's inappropriate that's what's lacking is but is it possible that's i don't know know. if it's possible somebody i was talking to somebody the other day and they said what happens if aliens show up okay what happens if fucking will smith in independence day happens right are we gonna band together and fight the aliens and i said nope somehow there will be a republican side and a democratic side. Yeah. Not even a global virus right. can bring us together. Everybody wants to join a side. But it also It's so has. tribal. Yeah, but I, I, you know, everyone has different perspectives. And I will fully admit, in a lot of ways, I, I do live in a, my own fucking bubble. But even, even like the overall... Um, you know, I guess major issues right now that everyone's talking about that are that are you know focused on in the news in our lives, whatever it is. You know, we we have the Black Lives Matter movement, and we have this this pandemic, right? And in both of these things, it's really seen as this um, basically war. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's not what I see in the world at all. You know, when I when I look at like how overall people have reacted to the pandemic, it's been mostly compassionate. The majority of people across the US are doing things, are like making personal sacrifices for people they don't know. That's the majority. Sure. The majority of people are doing things, whether it's you think it's scientifically right or wrong, they're making sacrifices, whether it's staying home whether it's wearing a mask when they go to whatever it is whether it's um sharing the resources they have that are tight with their neighbors i mean i think the majority of what's happening in the u.s around the pandemic is people being more uh generous and compassionate than they have been and obviously there's there's conflict about it but that's such a small percentage and the same thing with um, with the protests, you know, that uh, most of what you see is people all over the U.S. supporting things. I mean, I've in the last couple of weeks, I've driven way out into eastern Oregon, way up into the Olympics, um, you know, very uh, rural Trump flag waving places. And I still see whether it's... Um, someone's little cardboard sign 
you know, Black Lives Matter. I mean, communities that are 100% white and have been white for their entirety. I mean, I see stuff like that, and it's just not celebrated or focused on. No, it's not, because it doesn't get clicks. But I, I really think, overall, there's more positivity I, on I, both these things. I agree. I, I've noticed and sensed it just like going to the grocery store, having somebody hold the door for you. Like people, it feels like people are reaching out for that human interaction where you can, you can let somebody know that you care. Right. Uh, because that is, that is what it's about. Um, I spent some time here, you know, at the beginning of COVID where I was by myself and I didn't see people for at least a week, maybe a couple weeks. And, uh, you, you get weird. You want to touch somebody. You want to hug somebody. You want to interact with somebody like you and I are. And that is something I don't think people understood until all this happened is that you need human interaction yeah it's it's vital to your core totally yeah and and take it for granted a lot of the time i think yeah well i mean Um, this thing is so or missed you know like like there's so many missed opportunities for that connectivity especially with the technologies we have now. Yeah. You know, how many opportunities in a day uh, do you forfeit that for whatever the other thing is? Staring at your phone, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people, yeah, people do have maybe more of an awareness of that. I would hope. I sense it. I mean, you know, since I've been back to work, you know, people walk in uh, I, you know, I get someone who it's their first trip out of their house at least every week, you know, and they're, they're just like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's like a new world. They just want to talk about anything, yeah. everything. And yeah, like they didn't know if they'd see you on the other side. You yeah. Know? You know, and it's just, um, it's intimate. It's, it's real. It's yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that, like you said, you take for granted and it's so insane to consider what the world was six months ago versus now. Yeah. No one, no one had any idea what this could be. Right. And it continues to just be unpredictable. Mm-hmm. You, you have no idea what is actually going to happen in six months. Which no one ever did. No one ever did, but. <laughs> The stock market was going up. It's, yeah, to certain degrees. I think that's, I mean, not to discredit the like true pain of that for a lot of people. I think overall, just to kind of zoom out and look at Earth as this, you know, little ant farm experiment or whatever. I think it's really healthy for everyone to uh, engage in that. Uh, unknown, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it is embracing death in a way like we talked about earlier. It's, uh, yeah. 
people don't know what's what their future holds. And that discomfort is like a really great place for growth, I think. It forces you to change. And most people are terrified mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't change, like you, you still have to be more honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think people have had time to be reflective about it. I definitely have, you know, had time to like really deeply reflect on, on things rather than just being in this progression, constant progression. That is what I think is missing in uh, this age where we are able to be stimulated by something on our phone constantly. Mm-hmm. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier with creativity. You or I mean, you in general, me as a person, like I come up with the craziest ideas, the best guitar chord progressions, whatever. I come up with the best stuff when I'm standing in line somewhere. Right. And I'm just like looking around. I'm like, oh, there's a person, there's a thing, and there's a candy bar, whatever. Like when you are able to daydream, and allow your mind to wander, it goes somewhere else. And there's so many people that just, as soon as there's a a moment where it's down, you're just instantly right into it. Oh yeah. I mean, I find myself in that all the time. I do it too. Yeah. You know, and to the point that if I do something where habitually I would pick up my phone, it's, I'm really conscious about, oh, interesting. Like, look at this opportunity like what is this gonna feel like you know i mean that's that's the reality is is i'm very aware of of those moments now you you know i think a good example is if you go somewhere without service you know when's the last time any of us spent any significant amount of time without service where this device basically becomes useless um yeah i mean it opens you up differently what an insane creation that could connect you to every human in the world. <laughs> Disconnect you and from every human yes. in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like all things. It, you should never look at the device itself, you know? We should look at ourselves, look at how we, what our relationship with it is, and, and just be conscious of that, you know? I hate bashing any sort of technology. I mean, I think it's just really important to have a a reason, you know, for it. And to have, have like an understanding and assessment continually of what your relation to relationship to it is. Yeah. How does it make you feel? What is it doing for you? Why are you using it, you know? Yeah, because it's great for a lot of reasons. Um, sure. My my favorite one is to try to get my brain to recall what it was like, you know, when I was in high school to yeah. contact somebody. Oh, I, <laughs> I just... It's I have, so intentional. I have to call you yeah. and yeah. say, meet me at the skate park at 3 right. p.m. Right. Then I don't see you for... 
three hours. Yeah. You either show up at 3 p.m. or you don't. Right. I have no idea where the fuck you are. Right. If you're there at 3.30, I might not be there. Right. That's a different time. And that was 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is, is it, yeah, it's interesting to consider that. It, it ties into an uncertainty that we have now, you know, in some ways. I think, yeah, you had less information about everything and you lived with more uncertainty. When you went to a restaurant, you didn't know what it looked like. You didn't know what the, what the everything on were. the menu, you didn't know like, yeah, their busy times of whatever it is. Uh, I think, I think balancing more of that, um, just discovery and mystery in life is probably pretty important. But it's a point that we've passed that we can't return to. I don't think that's true. You don't think so? No, not at all. I will, I will, I could text you tomorrow. Yeah. And if you don't respond in five minutes, I'm thinking you're mad at me. Totally. You know what I mean? For sure. I mean, so, so, yeah, communication has changed in that realm, mm-hmm. but you can still engage with life uh, with a certain like spontaneity, boldness, adventure um, without utilizing overutilizing your access to information. You know, if you um, if you're about to like meet someone for a first date, you can refrain from you know doing your uh, your hyper research on them or whatever it is. If you're about to go to a national park, you can go there knowing nothing but the name of it and where it is and get that little two page pamphlet from the ranger and live a week with that information. And there's total value to that, I think. So it's just, it's like anything it's, it's balancing it out and understanding what, what the benefits are and why you're doing it. Are you just gathering information because you're anxious well like what does that anxious have like what does that anxiety have to teach you something probably Um, do you ever try to go back to a place you've been before without looking it up on a map i'm fully addicted (laughs) to um to using maps on my phone yeah fully but like, this is the first time you've been here. If I asked you to come back in six months, if I still lived here, yeah, would you attempt to do it without a map? Sure. I th- yeah. This place I could probably. It's not find. that bad, right? Um, but for the most part, no. Like, because here's the interesting thing about technology is I think your brain only has so much you can be processing at once, right? So back in the day, um, you know, before you had GPS navigation, that was a potentially a big part of your brain was like, okay, like picking up surroundings, the landmarks, the street signs, whatever it is. Um, and there's certain things that I feel okay about um, giving to my phone, giving to technology, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if it means on the drive over here, um, I had this computerized Australian voice telling me which turns to take and it and it 
opened me up to um, whatever daydream that created space for. I don't know. I think there can be good things there. Well, there are things that are going to happen too because um, according to people who are much smarter than me, the reason that our brains were allowed to develop into the size that they are and we were able to become as intelligent as we are as human beings, um, we discovered fire. Mm -hmm. And so instead of eating raw meat, we could cook the meat, right? Okay, so you don't have... Fire, the greatest uh, discovery pre-iPhone. Thank you. (laughs) iPhone, the next fire. The flaming iPhone, the second greatest (laughs) discovery. So we discover fire and we start cooking meat. So our teeth and our jaws do not need to be as big as they are to constantly consume this uh this this thing and so it allows our jaws to get smaller and our brains to get bigger interesting i'd trade half my brain for like huge teeth (laughs) (laughs) just go back like hundred thousand years totally yeah yeah um so what i mean that something something will come of this we have this device that can do everything for us Right. We don't have to think about Not how to thing, but yeah, we don't have to think about as many things anymore. We have a device right. to store all that stuff for us. Right. And eventually with Neuralink, we can have access, <laughs> we can have access to the internet. Right. We don't need to think about anything. So what is the next step? Then what do we do? If you I have access, I to- don't think of it that way though. Because that's thought is so different, you know. Thought is so complex. Thought is not like an equation, you know. It's not always even productive. Sometimes thought is just totally abstract. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, supposedly useless. Um, I mean, I you know, I guess you could plug that into AI at some point. You know, teach them how to have a dumb thought or a daydream. That's creativity. Or how are you going to teach AI to do yeah. creativity? I mean, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't see that outcome ever, ever happening. But potentially, I also try and remember that um, even the internet is still physical in some way. It is still basically a physical object, you know. Uh, it, it's. By that I mean it's something you can blow up, you know. You could blow up physical th- things around the the world, and the internet would disappear. So I don't know. I just try and remind myself of that that it isn't like this, you know, wind that came in and is here to stay. It's it's still just this mechanical thing, made of materials at its essence, and I don't know that that. Um, I don't always subscribe to the idea that like it's here to last we're in this trajectory forever I think it's pretty fragile and I think the systems we're building on the internet are incredibly fragile all of it is (laughs) and that is deeply fascinating to me to think about like okay you get a couple more generations into like yeah everything's on the internet (laughs) 
you know, uh, books are gone, tools are gone, whatever it is. Uh, what happens when the internet's gone? Nobody knows anything. It's worth thinking about. I mean, just thinking about it physically, I don't know. As soon as I thought about it that way, I was like, ah, nothing physical lasts. That's something I know on, you know. That, that is a, a crazy concept because everything exists on hard drives. Yeah, and it's all in physical. A, in a digital medium. If it, get, if it gets wiped out, some sort of uh, power grid failure, mm-hmm. everything's gone. We go back to tools. Yeah, I don't know where we go back to. I mean, we don't even necessarily go back to anything. We're just in this new place, just like we were when we discovered yeah, well, the internet. Yeah, and then we're just you know? lacking the communication tools. Lacking all kinds of things. Probably lacking a lot of information. Mm-hmm. But, but what if the internet is the downfall of human civilization? What if that the, the best thing that we thought we ever created kills us in 50 years i guess it yeah um totally possible but also i i guess yeah it depends if you consider yourself a part of humanity or if you consider yourself part of um planet earth or if you can consider yourself part of the universe you know uh death of humanity or even a piece of it is That's the thing that uh is that the end for you or is that no, the end for... I mean that's the thing that I always go back to is that we think we are so special and we're not. We're pretty fucking special too. We though. think we are. Look what we're doing. Like what is this? You know, it's insane. <laughs> Seriously. We're talking you know, about it's a beautiful day outside. There's like <laughs> rabbits to catch and eat, and we have built this great like it's pretty insane how and why it's it's it, special it's special but <laughs> we're not so special that the universe will not dispose of us in a heartbeat yeah the universe is yeah. eternal and they don't give a fuck right. about humans right we will disappear yeah and people are scared of that and I understand that, but there, yeah. I mean, how many, how many mass extinctions have there been mm-hmm. in the history of this planet? Um, we, probably more in the last few hundred years. Yeah. Than, we don't, don't even know. We don't, we don't understand what we're capable of. We're just so preoccupied with um, what Kanye West is doing. Like, mm-hmm. It's important to, I think it's important to consider, but also I think the death of humanity or the the death of the earth is just about as interesting as our own death. It's not that interesting and really has nothing to do with anything in my (laughs) humble opinion, (laughs) you know? Like, there's just so much to talk about and do while we're here right now. Yeah. Um, it's important to, I think, hold a place for it. You know, when I walk outside, I'm going to look both ways before I cross the street so that it doesn't all end right there. And I think humanity should consider those things, but only to 
only to a uh, small degree, you know? The whole death obsession, um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem valuable at all to me. Yeah, I agree. You shouldn't, you shouldn't focus on that. You, uh, there's other things happening. And you don't have that much control, you know? You can make certain calls, but... Well, you, yeah. could, you, you, you could live in a bubble for 80 years and you wouldn't experience anything. I'd rather go get a squirrel suit on and jump off a cliff well, and the, potentially die. And the bubble might kill you. And that's, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's weird, you know? Sometimes I'll just like I'll be out in the backyard grilling up some chicken or something, mm-hmm. drinking a whiskey, and I'll just stare up at the sky and be like I'm on a planet. Yeah. I'm a human. Yeah. I have no idea how I got here. Yeah. I'm just a little spermy that got mm-hmm. inside an egg mm-hmm. and now I'm a person. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is that? You have no control over any of that. You don't know. You don't know why it happened. Yeah, that's a wonderful feeling. It's you know, it's it's inexplainable, unexplainable. Yeah, and it's beautiful. It's cool. Yeah, I, and I think um, I think anything that any opportunity to have that feeling is valuable you know anything that gives you that that perspective you know because it it's it's kind of pulling the curtain off of things the the routines we set the rules we set um they're so fucking arbitrary you know yeah like uh i mean you've heard of the butterfly effect right Mm-hmm. There, there's a moment in, I imagine, everybody's life, in in human conscience, in in the existence of the world, things that happen that completely change everything from there on. Right. And what we're living through right now is George Floyd. Mm-hmm. That one situation completely changed the entire world and the crazy thing is he has no idea right and so for you what was can you even can you even label your life in in a way that you could say this one decision completely changed everything man i i totally appreciate that perspective you know and i can see patterns like that the reality is i don't i don't see things that way i really see everything as equal and and just an equal piece of um i mean i'm trying to think of what an example in my life what, what, okay but, just to to play devil's advocate what if you had continued yeah. to stay in high school Right. Would you be talking to me right now? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but is that decision somehow 
does that carry more weight than my decision to put on a green shirt this morning? Maybe, maybe not. I ultimately think it doesn't. I don't I don't know why. That's just my <laughs> sensitivity. You just like green shirts. I I just think every everything has that same uh value. But but I, I just I understand what you're asking. Um I don't think I there isn't a, a moment that stands out to me and you know, maybe I still want to have that moment. Maybe I'm still trying to like. Maybe it's coming. That, yeah. Know? No, there there really isn't something. Hmm. Other than my, you know, my birth, which wasn't a decision, <laughs> but I was gonna but, say that. What? what about that one? That is. Uh, before you came over, I was thinking about that a lot. Um, not because it's specific to you or anything, but I was just thinking, I just, my brain's fucking stupid. I think about the weirdest stuff. And I was thinking about when you enter that arena, you're swimming with 200 million other mm-hmm. people, right? Yeah. And then you get in there and somehow through symbiosis, symbiote, Symbiosis. Symbiosis. Maybe that's a word. Of what? You become one with that egg. Okay. And then the 249, other right. ones, like right. what? what is that? Are those other potentials that didn't... That is such an insane thing to think about that you were one of that many yeah. items that that made it Mm -hmm. and no one knows how or where it comes from like that that to me is like one of the most important discoveries we could ever make is just understanding the the probability basically yeah where where that soul comes from and how it decides right right I th- I think the more we do understand these things and look into these things, I think we find the evidence outside of it. You know, I, I think, um, and without sounding too new agey, I really think it's the best word for it is just energy, and it's just recycled energy. Mm-hmm. And you see, you know, whether it's. Um, you know, if you, you plant the family dog in the yard and you put a pear tree there and, and you know, all of a sudden you're, you're eating, uh, <laughs> you're eating the dog on this piece <laughs> of fruit in the backyard. Best fruit ever. <laughs> totally. I mean, that's just, that's just, um, biology, God, life, however you want to understand it. I think that's, um, that's just what's happening. So it's like, you know, um, these millions of sperm, right? All all rushing for the egg, and this one connects. Um, you can look at all those options who didn't make it and imagine them like, um, well, what would they be like as adults? What would their names and personalities be like? Or it's just these little bits of energy that go back into this huge energetic system and find outlets somewhere else, and maybe. 
that's really how I think about it. I don't, it's hard for me to see it on just a human plane, I guess. I like that. It all just becomes part of the one. Yeah, it's just it's something. It's just a thing. It's, you know, it's, it's constantly... like wa- water is such a, a great example. You know? Yeah. Uh, such a wonderful visual cycle of, of this, you know. Where was the water collected to make this sour mash that I'm going to process through my organs, you know? Um, pee in my front yard when I get home, that's going to evaporate <laughs> to where In the front yard. In the front yard. Yeah, I live in the woods. It's um, eternal. Yeah. For for billions of years. It's eternal. Mm-hmm. And I think ev- everything is that way. So it's hard to to really value one thing over the another another or even see moments as special or things as special. Um Yeah, I'm not always comfortable talking this way, but but really that's the thing. Everything is special, everything is equal, everything is is connected, you know? It is, but it's also forgettable. How many how many how many people have died over the course of this planet? Right. And that just goes back to the one. What do you mean? Those, those souls, those yeah. humans, those individuals. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I guess, um, it's so hard to comprehend. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to process it. Sure, yeah. I don't even know that I have a specific point. It's just whatever observation I've tried to gather in my limited time with my limited scope on this vast place called planet Earth mm-hmm. in the universe, whatever the fuck that is, and however far Seriously? that goes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh I think that's a good spot to to end it. Okay. <laughs> My mind exploded. Totally. Dude, I'm so glad you came over. Me too. Cheers. Cheers. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too.